You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you all for being here this morning as you survived the blizzard from last week. And uh, we are back together as a faith family. Two weeks ago, we started a series on prayer that is going to that will take us all the way up until about Easter, and so we started that series two weeks ago, and so we'll pick up our second uh, sermon. We'll continue our way through that uh, through our sermon series on prayer. Two weeks ago, we talked about some of the diff- what different faiths and religions believe about prayer that though like we might have an idea and an understanding of what prayer is there's a lot of different ideas of what prayer is we even talked about how we even ourselves may have a lot of preconceived ideas about what we believe about prayer now if we were to take a test and we're not but if we were going to take a test and we were to write an essay on what prayer is, I think we'd have a pretty good idea of what we might put down. But what we really believe about prayer, it comes out in our actions. And that's really not just in prayer, in the, the area of prayer in the life of a believer, but in all areas. We may say we believe one thing, but our actions really tell us what we actually believe. And so we have a lot of preconceived ideas about what we believe about prayer based on our actions. You say, Adam, what are some of those preconceived ideas that we have about prayer? One, sometimes we treat prayer like a genie in a lamp, don't we? We ask God for stuff, but prayer's better because we get more than three wishes. And so we ask God for things to spend on our own pleasure. Some people treat prayer as an opportunity to show off their spirituality by maybe how long they pray or how we might pray. Have you ever heard someone, they, when they pray, their, their tone of voice changes? I told the story about when Mary Lane and I were in uh, Birmingham and we were in student ministry. We had a summer uh, Friday night Bible study in our home for about 12 to 15 college students. And I remember we were talking about this, about prayer. And one of the college students was telling us about how we each need to be getting up at 5 a.m. and praying for a couple of hours, like, you know, Martin Luther and all these guys maybe did back in the day. And so we just asked him, we said, Jonathan, do you do that? Well, no. Okay, well, they don't preach that sermon, right? But we, we treat prayer like, okay, prayer is a spiritual litmus test. If I pray this long, if I say these words in my prayer, then, then I pass this spiritual litmus test. But Jesus taught in Matthew 23, he taught that we're not to pray to be seen by other men. Sometimes we treat prayer as a divine escape hatch. That if things get tough enough and we've exhausted all other options, then we pray. If money's good, if, if, we are, if we're in financial trouble or we're in, uh, our health isn't good, then we pray. Sometimes we, prayer, or we, we treat prayer as a ritual and we pray just before we eat. That's what we do. We pray before we eat or we pray in our church services and we pray before we get, go to bed. And so prayer is just a, a, a ritual that good people do. So we started last uh, two weeks ago trying to find out together what is prayer? What is it? 
and we defined prayer as personal communication with God. That's what prayer is, is personal communication with God. And we saw in Matthew 27, because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, anyone that is a believer in Jesus and follower in Jesus, we have access to the God of the universe in prayer because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We saw the picture of that in Matthew 27 when that that veil, that 60-foot curtain in the temple was torn in two when Jesus died on the cross, symbolizing that all believers have direct access to God. That is called the doctrine of the priesthood of the believer. We don't need a priest. We have direct access to God. We don't need a priest to go to God because Jesus was our high priest. He gave us that access to God. And we saw two weeks ago, because of what Jesus did on the cross, when we pray, we have a private audience with the God of the universe. So today, I want us to ask another question about prayer. We talked about two weeks ago, what is prayer? But today, I want us to ask the question and explore together, why does God want us to pray? Have you ever thought about that? Why does God want us to pray? I mean, think about it for a second. If God is almighty, if he is all-powerful, if God is sovereign in control of all things as Scripture says he is, then why do we need to pray? Right? I mean, if God is eternal, if God is eternally present, past, present, and future, why do we need to pray? If God has this all figured out, why do we need to pray? I mean, it could be easy for us to think, well, then maybe uh, prayer is just informing God what we need. Well, God is on, uh, on all-knowing. And Jesus even told us in Matthew 6, verse 8, he says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So why should we pray? If what Jesus taught in Matthew 6, that God already knows what we need before we even pray, then why pray? All right, so I want us to explore that together. So turn to Luke chapter 11 with me this morning. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It's been impactful in my life. And so we're going into this this sermon series on prayer. We're going to come back to Luke chapter 11. We're going to circle back to this, this prayer Here in Luke chapter 11, Jesus was sitting down with his disciples and they asked him a really unique question. So let's look at Luke chapter 11 and look at verse one. And here's what God's word says. It says, he was praying, he was talking about Jesus. He was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Now, I just want to stop here for just a second. What a really interesting question. Because this disciple, we don't even know which disciple it was. A disciple comes to Jesus and says, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, that's a really unique question because we don't ever have it recorded that one of Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, 
teach us to preach. Now, Jesus was quite a preacher and teacher. I mean, I know I've asked him that, but like, uh, we don't have it ever recorded that one of the disciples came to him and asked him that. We don't have it recorded that one of the disciples came to Jesus and said, uh, Jesus, we just saw you feed these 5,000 people, which is a few loaves of fish. Teach us to do these miracles. We don't have that recorded. Now, we know that Jesus did miracles, but we don't ever have any uh, recording of any of the disciples asking Jesus that question. But how Jesus must have prayed must have been quite the sight. Because in one day, one of the disciples comes to him and says, Lord, teach us to pray. And then verse two, look at it. He said to them, whenever you pray, say, Father. And we saw this in, in Matthew chapter six, a couple of weeks ago, Father. That, that, that prayer is personal communication with God. We see that personal side with the addressing God as Father. Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we, forg- we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us and do not bring us into temptation. Then look at verse five. And I think this is where we answer that question of why does God want us to pray? Look at verse five. It says, he also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus tells a really interesting story or parable here. In this story, Jesus is giving a parable, a story to teach spiritual truth. And in this, Jesus tells a story of a neighbor. And this, na- this guy has someone come to him late at night and he comes to him and he has a visitor late at night and he needs to feed him. And so he's like, I don't have any food in my house. So he goes to his neighbor's house and he knocks on the door and he tells him at midnight and he says, friend, lend me three loaves. Can I have three loaves? Now, when we think of loaves, when we hear that idea of loaves, we think of like that, the loaf of bread we might buy at the grocery store. Don't think of it like that. When we think of loaves, when we hear loaves, think of like three sandwiches. So he's basically saying, can I, can I borrow, can I have three sandwiches to feed this neighbor of mine? And the friend, this neighbor 
sticks his head out the door, the window and whatever. And he says, I uh, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children have gone to bed. I can't give, give you anything. Now, if you're a parent, you know that. Like if you have young children and they're asleep, don't knock on the door. Don't ring the doorbell. Why? Because they're going to wake up. And some translations even say that this neighbor says, uh, my children are with me in bed. And that's what, it, that's what it was like back then. Everyone would get in the same bed, mom, dad, uh, son, daughter, and sometimes even grandma and grandpa, all in the same bed. Aren't we glad culture has changed? And so they're all together in bed. And he says, come back in the morning. Come back in the morning. I don't have any food just to come back in the morning. But he keeps asking. He says, listen, I'm not leaving. This friend is here. I need to feed him. It would be impolite if I didn't feed him. And then Jesus says, he says, because of his shameless boldness or his persistence, he'll give him what he needs. So again, we come back to this question, why does God want us to pray. If God is all-knowing and he is sovereign and he already knows what we need before we even ask him as Jesus taught, why why does God want us to pray? Well, first of all, God wants us to pray to trust him. God wants us to pray to trust him. Think about this, because in this parable, if this friend, this neighbor, he had to have a pretty good idea that this neighbor, this friend would give him these three loaves of bread. So there was some trust there. There was a friendship there. And so God wants us to pray so we'll trust him. It's a sign of, okay, God, It's a heart posture of saying, okay, God, I can't do this, but you can. There's a trust there. One of the things my kids love to do is my kids love to swim. And Anna, especially, she really likes to jump off the side of the pool um, with mom or dad there. And we'll tell her, come on, Anna, you can jump, you can jump, and she'll do it. Why? Because she trusts me. She trusts Mary Lane that we're not going to just let her drown. There's a trust factor there. So God wants us to pray to teach us to trust him. You see, if we ask somebody something, we usually ask people things when we trust them. We go to people when there's trust there. And so God wants us to pray so we can trust him. Second of all, God wants us to pray because it brings us into deeper fellowship with him. Now let's go back to what we talked about two weeks ago. If prayer is personal communication with God and we don't pray, there's no communication. And so... God wants us to pray to bring us into deeper fellowship, into deeper relationship with him. Now, I am not a relationship expert. I would never claim to be. But I know enough to know that if in a relationship, if it's a husband and wife relationship, if it's a a friendship, if it's a family relationship, if there is not communication, usually that relationship is on not very good ground, right? Right? Like if you have a family member and you don't talk to them for years, you might say you're close to them, but I'm not going to believe it. 
If there's no communication, the relationship is not good. So God wants us to pray. If prayer is personal communication with God, God wants us to pray so we have a deeper fellowship with him. I mean, even think about this in Luke chapter 11. Here's Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus as God in the flesh is praying. He's praying to the Father. There's communication there. So if God in the flesh, Jesus, Emmanuel, if he needs to pray, how much more than do we need to pray? So prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with him. I can only speak from my own personal experience. And I'm not saying this to flaunt my own spirituality, but the moments when I have felt closest to God is when I have been in communication with him. And that's kind of, honestly, that's a no-brainer. I have found in my own life, when God feels like he's a million miles away, and God doesn't feel there, and when God doesn't seem like he's good, and I start doubting God, and I get angry with him, I usually find that that is when I am not in personal communication with him. Because who's changed in that scenario? God hasn't changed. The Bible teaches he's faithful. God hasn't changed. Who's the one that's changed? I have. And so God wants us to pray to bring us into deeper fellowship with him. And third, why does God want us to pray? It's because he wants to somewhere in God's sovereignty God wants us and allows us to be involved with him with what he is already doing. God is at work all around us and he wants to involve us in what he is doing. And one of the ways he does that is through prayer. In Matthew that we saw we, or when, and when Jesus was praying, you may know this account of the life of Christ. You remember when Jesus, just before he went to the cross, he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was praying. And what was Jesus praying? Do you remember? Remember what Jesus was praying to God the Father? He prayed and he said, Father, if you would let this cup pass from me. Jesus was about to take all the wrath of God God for sin upon himself. He was going to die an excruciating death. And so he's basically asking the father saying, if there's another way to work out this redemptive plan, let's do that. But what does he say after he prayed that? He says, not my will be done, but yours. So when we pray, we need to be praying in a way of God, your will be done, your plan be done and not my own. So when we pray like that, we're, we're praying, God, you do what you're going to do. And it's a way for us to be involved with what he's already doing. As Stephen announced this, uh, this morning, we're going to be starting community groups up in just a few weeks, a couple weeks. And 
in those community groups, we're going to be going through the study, experiencing God. Maybe you've been through that before. And one of the, the biggest uh, thesis premises of the study of experiencing God is find where God is at work and join him in it. See, sometimes when we pray, we say, God, here's what I need to happen, right? And then if, when we pray like that, we're just turning God into that genie in the lamp. And we pray, we say, God, I really need this money in the bank. And God, I really need my health to improve. And God, I really need this. And God, I really need this. And I really need this. And then God is nothing more than a genie. But we need to pray in a way that involves us and in what God is already doing. Faith family, I want to ask us the question, when was the last time you and I prayed and say, God, what are you doing right now? God, give me the eyes to see what you're doing and cause me to join you in what you're doing. That's a lot different, isn't it? God, I'm going through these health challenges. What are you trying to teach me right now? God, I'm going through this personal struggle, these issues. What is it that you're trying to show to me about yourself? It's a totally different posture of prayer. And finally, where I want us to camp out here for just a few minutes, why does God want us to pray? pray? To create a spirit of dependence on him. God wants us to pray so he can create in us a spirit of dependence on him. See, when we pray, we're saying, God, I'm dependent on you. I can't do this. And sometimes I believe that God puts us in life intentionally. God puts us in a difficult place in life. God will back us into a corner to where all we can do is look, is up. I believe that God and his love, you say, Adam, that doesn't sound very loving. Oh no, it's incredibly loving. I believe that God pushes us into a com- uh, in an uncomfortable position. God pushes us into a corner to make us depend on him more. Because oftentimes we live our lives, as long as family is fine, we don't need God. As long as our health is good, we really don't need God. As long as there's money in the savings account, we don't need God. But if one of those things go away, then all of a sudden we need God. And so God pushes us to a position of prayer and his loving and his love and his grace to create a spirit of dependence on him to where all we can say is, God, I can't, but you can But here's what we often do in our lives. We fight that. We argue with God. We say, God, this is not fair. God, this is not right. God, this is not good. And so we end up arguing with him when really what we should be doing is saying, help. 
And so God brings difficulties in our lives and pushes, pushes us into a position of prayer to where all we can, after we've exhausted all resources, we look to him. So faith family, I ask us all together, is God pushing you into a place to where all you can do is look, look is up? Where all you can do is pray. Let me encourage all of us, let's not make prayer a last resort. Let's not treat prayer as that divine escape hatch to where we pull that grip cord and we say, okay, now I'll, now I'll ask God for it. No, it needs to be our first reaction. In the book of Acts, I love studying the early church and how they did things. The early church in the book of Acts was in a really tight, kind of in a tight spot. Because when Jesus had died, one of his disciples had betrayed him. And you may know who that was. That was Judas. And if you remember Judas, he, he betrayed Jesus and he went and he hung himself. He killed himself. And so after Jesus had been crucified and had resurrected from the dead and he was on the earth for 40 days and he ascended back into heaven, the early church was kind of like, all right, now what do we do? Jesus has commanded us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, to spread the, the good news. He's told us to make disciples of all nations. And so he's told us to form this church. And so they all gather together. And the first thing they need to do, they need to find a replacement for Judas. And so what did they do? They held a business meeting. Is that what they did? No, that's not what they did. They met in a committee in her back room somewhere and to discuss it. No, that's not what they did. They decided, you know, as a church, let's vote. That's what we need to do. Let's have an election. Let's, let's form, let, let's pass out ballots. And we, they can, we can put it in the offering plate as it goes by. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find the, the one that is supposed to help lead the church. No, what was the first reaction that they did? They prayed. But how many times in our own personal lives we try to have a meeting with ourselves and we try to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? How can I make the checkbook balance? How can I do this and that in my life? And how can I, you know, my son, my daughter is going off the rails. Like, what do I do? And we fret and we, we panic when our first reaction needs to be prayer. How many times in our churches when we need we oh we have we need to have a we need to have a meeting we need to have a business meeting and we need to you know get a committee together and we need to meet in a back room and we need to you know figure this out and we need to, we need to vote and we need to do all this and that when really the first thing the church is called to do is to pray because when we do all these things in our personal lives and in our churches when we do all these things these busy things and they may even be good things. When we have all of these things, what that, has, what that does is we create an attitude of self-dependence. And we put ourselves up onto the, on a pedestal and we say, I'm God. I know what's best. 
I know what needs to be done. And we really don't involve God at all. See, faith family, God wants us to pray so we can trust him. God wants us to pray because prayer is personal communication with him. God wants us to pray to bring us into deeper fellowship with him and to love him. I remember when I was a kid, um, I was really close with my great-grandmother, believe that or not. I was really close with her. She passed away when I was in middle school. And I remember my great-grandmother, she lived with my grandparents. She moved in with them. They built an addition onto their house, and she lived with them when my great-grandfather passed away. Anyway, I remember as a kid going into her room. They had built her her own bedroom and bathroom. I remember going in there and uh, seeing her, and we called her Nanny, because great-grandmother, I guess, is a lot a mouthful for uh, a little kid. And I remember we would go in, going into Nanny's bedroom and um, she was uh, the complete definition of a chocoholic. I mean, she loved, this lady loved chocolate. And she had in her room a um, M&M dispensary. Like it was like, uh, uh, I know when you think dispensary, you think all kinds of things, but um, when they, when they, she had this uh, like, looked like a gumball machine and it had the M&M logo on it and you'd push it and M&Ms would come out. And so really, and she, and, and so one of the things she did, she had seven great grandkids and we would all go in there at family get togethers. We'd go in there and we wanted to get M&Ms and she'd put them in a little paper cup. Well, anyway, we'd go in there and every time this is what happened, we would go in there and we would say, Nanny, can we have some M&Ms? And what she would say, she's like, sure, I'll give you some M&Ms, but do you have any money? And you might, you know, thinking back on like what great grandmother would ask their great grandchild, do you have any money? And she would say, well, do you have any money? Well, no, I don't have any money. And she said, well, then do you have a job? Well, no, we don't, don't have a job. We can't pay for these M&Ms, so I don't have a job. And she said, well, you know, she said the old phrase, you know, well, money doesn't grow on trees. And then she'd go into, so we'd kind of just stand there. And she would tell this to my brothers and sisters, cousins, she'd tell all of us. She says, well, if you all don't have any money, and you don't have a job, what do you have? And then it would click. The light bulb would go off. We'd go up there and we would hug on her and we would give her kisses and hug on her. And then she would give us the M&Ms. Why was she doing that? She wanted to know we loved her. So then after we would hug on her and kiss on her, then she would give us the M&Ms. I wonder if God puts us in a position and God says, I hear you. I hear that you're praying. I understand you're in a tough spot, but I want you to pray. Why? I want you to love on me. I'm going to enjoy this. Just like a grandparent or a great grandparent, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to answer you, but depend on me, love me, need me. So God wants us to pray to bring us into deeper fellowship with him. God wants us to pray for us to, God wants us to pray so we can be involved in what he is already doing. And God wants us to pray so we will be 100% completely 
dependent on Him. So faith, family, friends, I ask you, what is God trying to teach you when it comes to prayer? Don't ignore Him. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Don't exhaust yourself. Pray. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you as we did a couple weeks ago. We thank you for doing the work on the cross that gave us direct access to you in prayer. We thank you that we don't need to go through a priest. We don't need anything else, but we have a complete direct access to you because you died for us. We thank you and praise you for that. And God, we thank you that you created this beautiful thing called prayer to where we can have personal communication with you. And God, we thank you that you want us to to communicate with you. You want us to pray to you. And God, forgive us for ignoring that. God, forgive us for treating you like a genie to where, oh, now we need something. Then we rub the lamp and we ask you for a wish. Oh, God, create in us a spirit of dependence. God, I pray that you would back each of us into a corner to where all we can do is pray. God, put us in that position like that neighbor who had no food to feed his guest and he had to go ask. God, I pray that you would get us into that that position to where we need you and that you would create a, a heart attitude of just consistent dependence on you in prayer. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and opening the door for us to have a relationship with Almighty God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leawood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.